I'm pulling on my driveway. We all know what that means. It's time for another drive to work. Okay, so last night I got a text message from Matt Cavada, and he asked if I could give him a ride today. Now, it turns out that I already done my podcast for this week, so I wasn't planning to do a podcast today, but I haven't had a chance to do a podcast with Matt in quite a while, so I thought I'd leap on the opportunity. So, in honor of Matt Cavada, I've chosen... So, what I... Whenever Matt's in the car, I try to pick a topic that I think Matt would add a lot to. And so, in the past, we've talked about Planeswalkers that he was the impetus in creating. We talked about um, flavor text and names, both of which he saw at one point. So today, I'm going to talk about another aspect that Matt has had a lot to do with. The art. Um, I spent a lot of time talking about design. Uh, so I spent a lot of time in this podcast talking about the stuff in the rules text. Uh, but there's a whole... The card has many more facets to it. Uh, and one of the most compelling facets is the art box. So today, we're going to talk all about what it takes to make art. So for those that aren't, aren't aware, before I, I'm, I'm on the way to get mad, obviously, let me remind you of a few things. So our artists are freelance. All of our artists, or the vast, vast, vast majority of our artists um, don't work at Wizards. And so what happens is we uh, use them all freelance to do the work. And so when Matt gets here, we're going to walk through what the process is and how one becomes an artist, and I'll, I'll talk all about the process. But be aware that all the artists that we use are um, freelance artists, and that Matt as you'll see, started as a freelance artist. Um, in fact, that's the, the, the way I first got to meet Matt was Matt was an artist, and they flew him to the worlds in, um, in uh, Sydney, Australia. I think that's where I met Matt for the first time. Uh, and he was there, you know, signing autographs and stuff. And anyway, he and I got a chance to talk. Turns out that we went to the same high school, uh, and we're from the same city, obviously, um, we both went to Orange High, Orange High School, uh, and both from the lovely state of Ohio, uh, in s- relative suburbs of, of Cleveland. Anyway, so if uh, Matt should be out here. So I, I uh, like I said, Matt lives very close to me, so we get Matt any second now. Um, hopefully he's just waiting for me. Uh, like I said, so today's topic, all about art. Um, where is he? Do I see Matt? Aha! I see Matt. There he is. Okay, let's pick up Matt and start talking art. Okay. Morning, Matt! So the topic today... Good morning. ...is art. I figured you'd have something to contribute to this. I might have a little bit of something or other. So I, I, I did a little bit of research... And between the two of us, we've created 179 pieces of art. Wow. What's the breakdown there? I think 178 are yours. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, I was explaining that our artists are freelance, or pretty much are freelance. Yes. So I wanted to walk through sort of how, what exactly, how an artist becomes an artist, and like, from the artist side, what does it mean to be an, art for, an artist for magic? Okay, so we're going to assume first that the person was already an artist? Yes. Okay. Other than me, most people are actually artists before they get to draw, draw right. magic cards. Um, there, is, uh, there is an official process for artists to submit their work to us. Um, all of the Wizards of the Coast brands, um, art directors can look at that um, collection of artwork that is sort of curated and maintained by a 
select few folks at the, at the office. Um, and there have been people who have popped into the, uh, into sort of the roster of go-to guys, uh, through that route. But mostly, um, mostly the way we find artists is by, um, seeing work done in the industry, whether it's games or books or movies or what have you, um, and an artist, their work will shine, um, and it'll be recognized by one of us that, hey, we don't currently use this guy, and we should. Um, so we go out and find people that way, people who have already made a mark in some facet of the uh, visual entertainment industry. Um, we sort of have this wonderful uh, position of having a really strong and robust set of artists that we can rely on, and it gives us the ability to cherry-pick mm -hmm. the, uh, the heavy hitters out there. So I do know, so Jeremy Jarvis is the art, current art director, and I know something that Jeremy loves to do is, as we go to world to world, he changes which artists we use because he tries to match the artist to the world. Right. And that... Uh, this year we're doing Greek mythology. That requires a, a, a different feel than, say, Industry did mm -hmm. with a gothic horror look. That you know, he tries to play to the artist's strengths and make sure that our mix of artists really right. can do whatever world we're doing. You know, that plays to plays to what they do well. For the the sports fans out there, I'm going to use a football analogy. That there are the, the, the first football <laughs> analogy ever on this program. Bam! I love it. <laughs> um, if you are fielding a team. Um, and you have some serious badasses on your team, you're not going to take them off the field no matter what situation you're in. But there are some guys who are specialists for certain roles that you'll bring in when you're trying to defend on the goal line or whatever. But you don't take your mainstay dudes off the field ever. Sure. Um, magic art is, is kind of the same way, where there are some guys who are so close to the heart of what magic looks like that they can, they can swim in all of those different pools. But then Jeremy or Don will find artists that, um, that really, uh, it's in their wheelhouse, whatever the flavor of the month is, and they'll add them to that group of um, usual suspects to create a, a look that is, while still totally magic, it leans the way toward Greek mythology or toward gothic horror or whatever. By the way, you mentioned Dawn real quickly. Dawn is another magic. We, we have more than one art, art director now for magic. Yes. Um, and Jeremy is the, the main guy, but uh, Dawn is another art director. So. We just added Mark Winters also. Yes. Magic is bigger and bigger. Growing. <laughs> yeah, every time we, we create new products and we need more art, it's like, we need more art. Because one of the things people don't realize is we create, we produce a lot of art in a year. Right. Um, and that while we have a lot of artists, we definitely are always scratching for more artists because we produce so much material. Right. And the other thing that, um, for, the, for the listeners who are, you know, laser focused on the cards, they might not be aware that we're doing art on all kinds of things that aren't cards right now, or at least preparing to do things that aren't on cards. Um, and that spreads our... Um, spreads that go-to pool of artists a little bit more thinly. Um, so we're always looking for more. We're always looking for more people who can uh, 
express the brand and the certain nuances that it has and also maintain a level of skill and quality that is hard to come by. And remember, we used to do one large set, two small sets, and every other year do a core set. That used to be our staple. And we, and, we didn't do new art in those core sets. Right, we didn't do new art in the core set. Now, we, you know, we do three sets a year, sometimes more than one at a large. The core set right, has all sorts of new at cards and new half art. half new art. Right, yeah. half new art. And we do dual decks that have new art. And we do Commander. From the Vault and Commander and Conspiracy and, you know. Promo cards. Right, there's tons and tons and tons of things. Yeah. Like the amount of art we're producing now versus even like oh, then there's, 10 there, years there's ago. There's like uh, the branded play. Like there's a, a series of cards for the Heroes Path. Right. That's all stuff over and above what we had been doing before. Okay, so... Let's, let's, we'll take you as a perfect example. So you are an artist. You like how, how did you get to the attention of wizards? Um, I'll tell the story, but it's it's generally not something that I think would work anymore. The the, the industry just doesn't function the way that it used to. Okay, but that just tells you how old I am. <laughs> <laughs> um, I used the good old fashioned uh, persistence and elbow grease uh, method where I would put together a small portfolio of what my best work at the time was, and I'd bundle it up in a really conspicuous folder, like a pink or a purple folder, and then I'd mail it to the art director directly and call like three weeks later saying, hey, is there a purple folder on your desk we can talk about? (laughs) Um, And I had built up a sort of working relationship with the then art director Jesper Mirfors. Um, he was he was kind enough to say, "No, you're not good enough to do the work, but this is what you can work on." Um, he didn't just blow me off or whatever, and I really, really appreciated that. Jesper Mirfors, very quickly, is the original Magic art director. He's the person right. who picked the magic font, you know, on the back of the card and uh, did the original frame layouts right. and such. Um, and. At one point, he said, hey, Matt, you are really close, like really close. And I felt like I was one submission away (laughs) from making it happen. And I sent in my pink folder and I called back and it turned out that he was fired. (laughs) He was either fired, he left or something. And I was crushed. I was so, so upset. So they gave the stack of, of artwork that was on his desk to the new guy. Um, Who was a new guy at the time? That, that was, was Dana Knutson. Oh, Dana Knutson, right, okay. And I called him, and I was the first new artist that he hired. I think he wanted to exercise his new power as yes. the art director, so he hired me, but I, I have reason to believe it's not because of my artwork entirely. I came to find out years later, after Dana and I had become friends, that I sound on the phone exactly like his best friend. So he couldn't help but have positive feelings <laughs> about me when we talked on the phone. So the key is find out who the current art director is, track down his best friend, <laughs> listen to him, and try to copy the voice. That's right. <laughs> advice here. Career yeah, advice from Matt Yeah, like I said, I don't think this technique is going to work for... Uh, okay, so now you get to do... So what was your very first piece of magic art? Um, the subterranean hangar. What, what set was that from? That was Mercadian Masks. Okay. It was one of the bad uh, um, storage counter lands. Okay. Yeah. 
Oh, let, let's real quickly, something for people to understand. One of the bane of artists is that the artist, obviously, they consider the best piece of work, whatever their best piece of work is. Right. But the audience, their favorites have to do with the card. Sure. Meaning, if they really love a card, they love the art that's on the card. And so what artists have to come realize is their most popular pieces are very, very in time, not to what the best piece was, but what the most popular card it was right. on. Right. It's a, it's a real slam dunk if you can do two of those things at the same time. Um, one of the things that I always appreciated quite a bit is when um, a collector or a fan would have a binder page filled with a particular bad card. Mm -hmm. And you know that in that instance there was something about the art or the, the connection of the art to the card concept or the card name that really speaks to them. Um, and that's aside from, yeah, this is a broken rare or whatever. Those are good times. <laughs> so, yeah, one of the things, so you were unique, or somewhat unique, in that when you started doing magic, you actually played magic, right? Yes. Um, most of our artists do not play magic. Um, and that uh, one of the problems we often have is that the, um, what the art director does is they, they figure out the card concept and convey the card concept to the artist. So um, that, that's, a, that's another funny thing that happened with uh, art director Dana Knutson way back when I first started. Um, he had called me. Uh, I, I became a, a bit of a uh, like last-ditch man for him. Like Whenever he needed something done um, in three days or whatever, he would call me and, and um, cut me loose on that assignment. And he had one for me. And... When he told me what the name of the card was, I immediately—I can't remember exactly what uh, what it was at the time, but I recognized it immediately as an anagram of Garfield PhD. Oh, right, right, Feldegriff. Right. I, I knew immediately it was a, a, a Feldegriff variant, and I stopped him before he continued the description. I was like, "Don't tell me." It's a flying purple hippo. And that blew his mind. <laughs> he was like, how could you possibly know this? Yeah, it's qu questioning Feldegraff, right? Yes. So, yes, it, it, at times it pays to know what's going on in the game. I, I, one of the things I remember is we were doing Unhinged, and we were having trouble getting an image for the booster. Oh, no, the, the card was Mize. We were in trouble getting someone to draw Mize, because Mize is this magic slang. And, like... We just couldn't describe to artists what, the, what it meant. So we finally said, okay, let's give it to Matt. And we're like, Matt, it's mice. <laughs> right, right. That was fun. Um, the unsets uh, were a, a nice breath of fresh air as far as um, the, I don't know, the air. Like, the, the air around a, a magic set is like, we're, we're taking this seriously. We're immersing ourselves in this world. And the unset sort of popped the cap off of that and let the air out a bit. Yeah, when I was searching to figure out how many art you had done, so uh, there was like 176 pieces of art done by Matt Cavada. There was one piece of art done by Matt Cavada and Richard Witter. Yes. And there was one piece of art done by Matt, I'm your boy, Cavada. Because <laughs> in, in Unhinged, we had a, um, there was an artist theme, like Artist Matters. And so we gave nicknames to all the artists. And so what, what card was, tri trivia question, what card was that? That was Zombie Fanboy. Zombie Fanboy, very good. Yes. I'm your boy. Yep. They let me make my own name. Yeah, I mean, we, we asked all the artists, we asked all the artists if they wanted to pick their own nickname, and some cared and some did not. Um, 
So speaking of Mize, um, that particular piece of art, um, if I remember correctly, uh, the original art resides somewhere near and dear to you? It does, it does. So I own four pieces of magic art. Um, I bought the original Morrow. Um, I bought the original, um, uh, sorry, uh, Jester Sombrero, which was the art, the art on the unglued pack. Um, and then I, I own Look at Me on the DCI. I guess I didn't buy it, but I didn't, I didn't give it to anybody else. I kept it along with my dollar check for yes. doing it. And by the way, I was probably overpaid, but, uh, <laughs> the, um, and then Matt for my birthday gave me Mize. Mize was the cover of the second, uh, the, uh, the cover package of Unhinged. I figured that we could start a pattern then. Uh, unset packaging art. Yes. So, but anyway, I own four pieces of art. That's my four pieces of art. Awesome. So, but um, and, and I've, Matt, not only do I have the art, Matt also framed with it. Uh, it's the back of a magic card and signed "Happy Birthday, Matt." That's right. So it's funny because I own one piece of magic art that isn't my own. Oh, what do you own? And it happens to be from Unhinged as well. Uh, art director Jeremy Jarvis, the kind soul that he is. Um, gave me fat ass. Oh, fat ass. <laughs> Didn't that win an award? That was in, that, like, the, um, I remember there was some book that had, like, mag- like I forget the name of it, but there's a bunch of... It might have been a society of Yeah, there, there's a bunch of things like where you can get in the special book and it's like an honor thing and, like, magic art shows up there quite a bit. So I, I heard, oh, there's a piece of magic art from a recent set and I open up, it's fat ass. So yeah. that, that's the, uh... So, well, that's an awesome piece of art, though. Speaking of um, places where art wins awards, mm-hmm. um, the Spectrum Fantasy Art Annual every year has, I would say, conservatively 15 to 20 pieces of magic art in it. Yeah. And that just shows you how um, how talented the artists who work on our game are and how the game provides uh, an opportunity for artists to express themselves in ways that are compelling to people, even outside. The people judging those pieces of art don't know or care right. about where it comes cards from. Like, yeah. at all, and yet they're still finding some um, like eternal value in those images. I think that's pretty awesome. Okay, so let's walk through. You get a signed piece of art. Yes. What what? Tell me the process. What happens? Me or from the art from an artist. One gets assigned. An, an art. Okay. An artist. Um, well, the first thing that uh, that the art director does is he or she will gauge how many pieces an artist can handle and still uh, pump out their best work. Um, but let's just say that they've determined that this person um, will get one. And, and most art, by the way, uh, behind the scenes, has two waves, meaning there's two different periods of, I think, seven weeks yeah. that artists have to do their art. Right. Um, although that has been changing, sometimes we're squeezing an entire 200-plus card set into one wave. It gets to, well, we, just, we, we, just we, we, to get it all done. Right. We, we never want to do that. No. Some, sometimes we have to no, do yes. that. Um, so the first thing that you'll get is... Um, what we call the art description and it is a rundown of certain um, like one-liners like here's the tone that we're looking for and here's the color of the card that this is attached to Um, here's the placeholder name of the card just to give them an initial um, you know opportunity for inspiration on what that could be and it 
resolves with um, a description of what that that art could look like. And I say could because quite often the art description comes as a strong suggestion. Like, this card represents um, uh, a wizard's firepower destroying uh, a wall or whatever. It could look like Chandra casting a, a wrecking ball made out of flame or whatever. But if the artist feels like they have a, an image in their mind that is as cool or even cooler than what they get in the description, they can propose a, an alternative. Um, right, so the first thing you do is you turn in... You turn in sketches of usually both the idea that you were asked for and if you have ideas of your own, um, you can provide options. Some folks just like to jump in and do whatever it is that's uh, prescribed. I was a bit of a pain in the ass for art directors and that I almost always <laughs> tried to find something, um, I don't know, a little bit deeper. Um, but yeah, you'll, you'll turn in sketches. Those sketches are reviewed by the art directors and the, um, the, the writers who are attached to that particular set to check for continuity. In general, the, the art director manages the uh, feedback that has to do with making this look good, and the others provide feedback on what is correct or incorrect. Right, so I'll give an example. So let's say we did a piece from Theros. Um, Something like Jeremy is going to talk about the, the, how the art looks, right? Whether the, it's position right or whatever. Where someone like uh, Jenna would come in and say, "Oh, that weapon you were showing is not in right. Theros. Here's a collection of weapons you can choose from, right. but you've chosen a weapon that isn't from this place." Oh, I lied. Oh, you I, lied. I, I skipped. I skipped an important step. Okay. Um, let's just use Theros as an example. Before an artist even starts imagining uh, a picture in his or her mind, but and even in some cases before they get the art description. They'll get the world guide for oh, right, right. Theros in, in this case, and that is, you know, usually you know eighty to one hundred and ten pages of art and written material that gives that artist a very deep understanding of what that world is all about. Um, and we make one of these every year. Which, which, by at, the way, at it's, least one. It, it's crazy yes. the amount of energy, like. It's like a little phone book of just like, here's everything you wanted to know about Theros, Ravnica, Innistrad, Zendikar, you know, whatever the world is. The funny thing, though, regarding that amount of energy is if you, if we didn't do a world guide, yeah. the amount of energy it would take to art direct individual pieces into being cohesive, yeah. would it would be impossible, actually. As much work as it is to put together the world guide, it allows those artists to express themselves without having to be corralled at every turn by the art director. No, they don't wear those kind of helmets. No, no, no. There's, so, that's the wrong color for this group. So as an artist, I mean, did, I assume you really appreciated the world guide because it really gave you a sense of what the world was, right? Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, and in the case of that, uh, that illustration where Jenna pointed out that's not the weapon, at times it can be as simple as use the one Use weapon D on page 87. Right. You know, and, and just clears everything up right there. 
Yeah, there also are some funny stories. Um, I think this happens a lot less than it used to, but where we would say something and the artist doesn't understand the fantasy reference and so they go to a real world reference. It's bad. Like, for example, multiple times this has happened where we've asked for a drake and we got a duck back. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yes. Uh, and then there's a couple of classic ones where... Um, like, so the root walla was originally a chuck walla, which is an actual kind of lizard. Uh-huh. And the artist who drew it didn't realize, he thought we had made it up, that it was a fictional thing. So he had made a lizard, but he made his own, you know, his own right. thing. And so we changed the name. We're like, well, it's not a chuck walla. It's like, I guess it's a, a root walla. <laughs> Some kind of walla. Some kind of walla. Clearly it's a walla. Okay, so you have your sketches. You turn them in. Uh, you get notes on the sketches. Right. Okay, and, and what's next? And I will next? say that more often than not, um, well, from my experience, more often than not, the sketches were pretty much just either very close to approvable or just approvable as is. Um, it varies. I mean, I. But now that yeah. we're getting, um, now that we're getting much more immersive with the worlds that we're depicting, it matters more that all of the nuances are sort of on point. <clears throat> so, I haven't been, I, I haven't been involved in magic art in five years, so it's possible that I was just lucky enough to miss that trend and not have to deal with that that level of detail and scrutiny. The, the other thing that will vary is some artists are very, very familiar, have done a lot of magic art, and some artists, um, I know when the first time they start working with us that, you know, there's little tiny details that you might not think matter that just they don't realize, and as soon as it's pointed out, they go, oh, oh, I didn't really, you know, and they'll, they'll, they'll right. It also takes a little time, um, and it might take a, a few cards of back and forth with the art directors for them to provide feedback on the nuances that make magic fantasy art magic fantasy art, as opposed to um, something like Lord of the Rings or whatever. Um, for example, if someone puts a... <clears throat> if it... An illustration calls for a wizard shooting a flaming wrecking ball into a wall. Yeah. If that wizard is an old man with a beard, it's probably not going to work out. Yeah. That's just not part of what we do. We magic. A magic wizard is young and um, energetic. And uh, we also avoid certain stereotypes, like right. we, we avoid the long white beard and pointy hat with Absolutely. stars on it, and Absolutely. you know. Right. So, okay, so they turn the sketch in, they get approval on the sketch. What's next? Uh, next, they take the rest of the time between that moment and the due date to polish, you know, to finish out the painted piece. Um, I would say most of the time that painted piece comes in and it's just like the, the team oohs and ahs and, and says how awesome it is because you know what you're getting into with the sketch. But sometimes... Um, in that finished stage, the artist in applying color or uh, applying detail to a, a suit of armor or whatever might get a little off track and it has to be reworked some. Also, there, there's a few very quirky magic things that is easy. Like, one of the most famous is, if a creature flies, it has to clearly look like it's flying. And if it doesn't fly, it can't look like it's flying. And I, I know that second one is more important. Um, because you do have images of dragons and um, 
sometimes well, demons, if their wings are unfurled, like, we get it. Well, I mean, it has to look like it flies. First of all, almost all our dragons fly, so if you see a dragon, you assume it flies yeah. from a magic standpoint. Yeah. Um, but, for example, a lot of times there's, like, ghostly things that are spirits that aren't supposed to fly, so it's tricky, because if they're hanging and not touching the ground, right. there's this expectation that maybe they're flying. Um, right. I, I know that's a very common thing that, you know, anyway. That gets caught at sketch stage, though. Um, but at the point where you turn in your final piece, um, in essence, that's the that's the end of the line as far as the work is concerned, mm-hmm. unless there is, you know, color adjustment or, um, hey, dude, you painted two left hands on this guy by accident yeah. or something <laughs> like that. Which has happened. Okay, so they, you get the art. The art gets approved. So what happens after, for an artist, what happens after the art is approved? What, Afterward, for an artist that isn't aware of the pace of magic releases, um, it pretty much goes a little bit dark. You submit your invoice and you get paid, which is awesome. Um, and at some point um, soon after the pre-release, you will get your... Um, product, you'll get a... Artist uh, proofs. You get artist proofs, and in some cases you'll get um, a box of booster packs so the artist can see what their work is like in its natural habitat. So artist proofs, for people who don't know, it, on the front it's their card, and on the back is white. Right. There's no magic back. Right, it's not a magic card uh, officially as far as um, being able to be played in games and whatnot, but it gives them a very clear picture of uh, how their art is being expressed in the and, product. And it's something that artists, uh, it's very common for artists to sign. And, right, and they've become a collectible thing in their own right. Um, and that white back has become popular for sketches and signatures and whatnot. So I know a lot, I mean, clearly you did this, but so some number of artists we take to events. Want to talk a little bit about that? Sure. Um, uh, the higher profile events, the ones that draw um, that draw a crowd beyond just the competitors, mm-hmm. those are the ones where we like to have artists on hand to, um, I would say, to, to help foster the environment of magic appreciation even beyond playing the game. Um, appreciation for the art is, I believe... Um, one of the more powerful draws to our game. Um, it's possible for someone to look at a pile of magic cards and not be able to grok a single word on the bottom half and still be engaged with what they're seeing. Um, that's, I don't know, that's power. I think that's, that's super important to us. Um, so having artists on hand to, um, to hobnob and answer questions and in some cases... Um, sell larger printed pieces or even original art to people. It it just it fosters that appreciation community within our fan base. Yeah, and there's always long lines. I mean, the people yeah. get real excited. So, um, so people usually bring cards to sign. That's obviously yes. one of the most famous things. So, what is the most number of cards anyone at one time try to get you to sign? Um, I was at Gen Con probably ten years ago or so, and. This guy came by with a folding chair 
<laughs> and when he had his own chair to sit down, I knew I was going to be in trouble. And he dropped down a stack, honestly, about eight inches high. I don't know how many cards that is, but it's way more than the recommended 15 to 20. I mean, it was probably like, I don't know, that could be a could that be a thousand cards? Uh, maybe. H- hundreds and hundreds of cards. Hundreds yeah. of cards. I was not thrilled about that. Um, but there wasn't a lot going on. So I, <laughs> I signed it. I took my time. Yeah, that was not great. Yeah, so I, I, I was talking about, I think the, the first time I met you, my memory is when you were uh, the artist at Worlds in Australia. That was awesome. So that, that must be fun, awesome. you know, I mean, one of the perks of, of being a magic artist, getting oh, uh, the tra- travel around the world. and. Uh, yeah, I've, uh, I have done a lot of, you know, continent hopping, and it's all because of magic. It's, it, it, that was a wonderful, wonderful opportunity. Yeah, magic's actually got me to every continent but Antarctica. Africa's a tricky one. <laughs> we had a, we had an invitation on Cape Town, but that that, right. that was a. So anyway, we're almost we're almost to work. Um, any other things you want to say about artists? Something about people might not realize when you think about the, the art of magic. A, a final thought. Um, a final thought. It's awesome. <laughs> the, the depth of the... Oh, yeah here's a final thought um, and this one will add a nice little note of finality in more ways than one um, one of the ways that uh, that I know that magic art has um, really elevated its game and Jeremy Jarvis and I both agree on this because we feel the same way um, the way that we know that it has grown and it has gotten better, is that we both think of ourselves as now obsolete. Like, mm-hmm. we could not do art and cut the mustard anymore. You don't think you, think I, you could? I, I would say that more than half of the art that I have done uh-huh. has, no, has no business anymore. Yes. Now, that doesn't mean that some of them, some of my finer moments, wouldn't still, like, hang with the, the, right. the big boys. Yeah. But for the most part, we're both totally happy to see that the the art has grown beyond us. I think that that's, that just says that either we are old and has been, <laughs> or it's really gotten pretty darn cool. Well, anyway, thank you, Matt. We had a little extra, a little extra trip in today, so you had a little extra time with Matt. So thank you for joining me. Awesome. So I, I told them there wasn't even a podcast day, but I'm like, Matt's coming. It's We're going to podcast. I'm a gamer. So anyway, thanks for joining me. And so guys, as always, I love talking about magic and magic art, but even more... I like making magic, so it's time to go. See you next time.